Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Uh, brought into the kingdom, begin a discipleship process. Uh, so we've learned how to be much more effective at, uh, at doing ministry. I had a, one of my staff members um, this last week. We were at an impact conference. Our group, our group of churches are called impact churches. Uh, Park Cornerstone's one of those, one of those uh, uh, charter members of, of uh, Impact. And so, one of my staff members, when he was a young guy that we just hired, he was a graduate from Bible some Bible college, uh, and he was saying, he says, yeah, what Pastor Randy told me, he says, so when he hired me, he said, uh, he says, I really don't know anything. He says, you know, even though I have a Bible degree, you know, here I think I know how to do ministry. I said, and I and he told this in front of everybody. He says. Pastor Randy told me I really didn't know anything. And I thought, who in the world is this guy to tell me? I, don't, I, just have a, I just graduated from Bible college. And I've been working at the church about six months, and I will tell you, I don't know anything because Bible college helps you to get a found, theological foundation, but it doesn't teach you how to do your job. Just same thing in any expert area that you go to school. If you want to be an engineer, you study the basics, the foundations of being an engineer, but that really how to do it is once you get there and you have to put it into practical application. So what we're doing is we're here to serve uh, Cornerstone Community Church. One, we're going to help you, what is God's destiny over that church? That's one of the big things that, uh, for me, when I'm helping churches, is I have to make sure I'm in line with what God's spoken over the church, what, what's His will. By the way, this is not the sermon yet, okay? So can we, can we separate a little bit? All right, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of connectability where we're going. So Willie, Willie is uh, just quite in just a few weeks that uh, uh, Willie's had his uh, infection in his brain. For those that don't know, he had brain surgery, and and whenever you go and cut the br- cut your head open, uh, do brain surgery, there are, there's quite a bit of of inflammation and just takes a while to heal. So Willie will be out six to eight weeks. Uh, at the hospital, but even then, uh, Jerry Daly, who is one of the guys that's on the oversight team over this church, outside the church, we have elders, and we have oversight team, uh, myself and Jerry have been oversight for this church, and so we're asking that uh, Willie take about a four-month sabbatical, get good and healthy. Uh, so we're in the next six months, our church more specifically, Jerry uh, now does ministry. By the way, how many of you know Jerry's planted seven churches himself? Seven churches. How many people you know have done that? So, quite a quite a phenomenal guy. Uh, he started the Manna Church, which is now thousands and thousands of people. Uh, you know, he helped my son start a church in Boone when, when he was going to college there. We grew it to over 100 people and then he came back and went on staff with me there. So Jerry's now overseeing churches in Boone. Oh, just, just amazing guy. So those are the guys that are part of this church. So in the interim, we're going to, uh, in that six months, our church, Grace Church in Southern Pines, if you ever want to just go check our webpage out so you can kind of look at where what we are. We, we broadcast live. We, brought, we, we post our sermons online. You can kind of get a little vision of what we are. So it's gracechurchsp.org, gracechurchsp.southernpines.org. So... What we're going to do is we're going to just begin to just get this church healthy. You know, how, how many of you know healthy things grow? And healthy things reproduce. Now, there's a couple things that I've sensed as I've been praying about what is God's call. Because, see, I believe a call, uh, we see in the book of Revelations, there's multiple churches. And there's a, ch- there's a destiny, there's a call over each church. And one of the things we want to do is we want to make sure that we're Walking in alignment with the vision of the elders and uh, Pastor Willie, uh, and also what has God spoken over this church uh, in generations past. So, so the things as I am praying over this church, there's a couple things this last week as as God began to speak to me. One of the ones is where Jeremiah is called, or Joshua, and the Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they're there, and God says it's time to take the city of Jericho. And this time, they don't allow a bunch of whining and murmuring. They tell everybody to be quiet. But what God tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, I'm going to give you this city, its kings, and its warriors. Now, how many of you know that Lynchburg 
Virginia has the largest Christian university in the world. Plus, I was driving around and the number of colleges in this small town. And one of the things God began to speak to me says, Randy, there there are kings and warriors that I'm going to give this church in this city. And it's not just students. I believe God wants to begin to bring people of influence in this community into this church. So I'm going to ask you guys to begin to agree with me. Because, guys, I'm, I'm going to only do one thing at 150 miles an hour. Okay? So I'm going to say, guys, for the next six months, let's strap on the seatbelt because we're going for a ride. Amen? So we're going to start praying some specific things, and you will see answers to these prayers. You will. Because when you find out what God's doing and align your life with his will, he begins where God guides, he provides. Okay? So we're going to start asking God to give us the kings and the warriors. So I believe that there are people that, a lot of young people, that God wants to give this church, to this church, because... Bible college and college does not prepare you how to do life, how to do marriage, how to do family, how to do ministry. So we want to become a church that's gearing up and equipping God's people how to do work for his kingdom. Is that all right? All right. The second thing is, is the scripture that God gave me was Luke chapter 15, where, you know, it's the parable of of the loss, where there's the 99 sheep and, and you leave the 99 and go after the one that doesn't know God. Now, you can't leave the 99 if the church isn't healthy. See? But if the church is healthy, then the shepherd, because he has multiple shepherds taking care of the sheep, he has all kinds of people, they're safe, they're secure, then you can go out and you can begin to reach the lost. How many of you know God wants to bring a lot of people to Christ? Hundreds. Thousands. Even though you guys have so many churches and so many Bible colleges, I would venture to say most of the people that are living here in Lynchburg don't know Jesus. Or they have a knowledge of Jesus here. How many of you know you can know all about God here and miss him here? Right? That longest 18 inches. So there were two kind of two-pronged things that I'm praying over this church is that we would begin to see a harvest of people who don't know Christ come to know Christ, and that God would begin to give us the leaders that are going to impact the world in generations to come. And guess what he is doing? He has an army of believers right here in this church that are going to be a part of helping prepare them to advance God's kingdom. And you're going, us? How many of you know God uses the local church? The local church is the hope of the world. It's through the local church that the world is changed. It's not Liberty University. It's not colleges. But it's the local church. When you begin to to agree with what God says he can do. So, folks, we want you to begin to believe that God can do much more amazing things than what we see right now. Amen? Because that's where I believe God wants to take this church. So I want you to strap on. And that means that you have to be willing to say, God, we're, we're in for the ride. Now, we know that Willie's health is, right now, he's in recovery mode. And we encourage you to be praying for him and for, for Minerva and for the Taylor family. Uh, because they're going to need your help. This is a very, very difficult time. Uh, but again, I think some of the, the best years for Willie and for Minerva and for their family are ahead. How many of you know you don't retire, you just refire? Okay. Right? All retiring does is give you more opportunity to serve Jesus. You have more resources, more time. So this church has a few people that are getting closer to Jesus, not because there nobody's retiring, right? We're just going to get more, be able to give ourselves to the kingdom of God. So, now, I'm going to start my sermon, okay? So, I've got 30 minutes for my sermon? Okay. So I'm going to try and do this sermon now. So, how many of you know... The ages of when most people come to Christ. Nobody's going to answer because you probably don't know. So I'm going to tell you. How's that? 85 
Well, let me, let me do this. How many of you came to know Jesus in this room after the age of 50? Okay. How many of you came to know Jesus after the age of 40? Okay, you came to Christ after 40? After the age of 40? How many of you came to know Christ after the age of 30? Okay, I've got one hand. I've got a 40 year, 40 after 40 and after 30. Okay. How many of you came to know Christ after the age of 25? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So let me ask you some questions. 85% of all the people who make decisions for Christ typically do so before the age of 14. The next 5 to 7% do so before the age of 25. And we saw in this room here that most of you came to Christ before the age of 25. Alright? But a lot of the ways we do evangelism is targeting 25 and above. Right? Now, these statistics have been over the last 50, 75 years here in America. But I will tell you something right now. The way people accept Christianity in America is changing. And the next 50 years are not the same as the last 50 years. We are basically, even though you live... In Mecca, if there was a Bible belt, you guys live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Right? But I would venture to say that in Lynchburg, Virginia, there are many people who know Jesus here, but don't know Jesus. I'd venture to say that there's a lot of mom and dads who have loved God and want to rescue their kids because there's a little bit of rebellion in their hearts and they send them to Liberty University thinking that that's going to be their salvation. I mean, you know, we got our work cut out ahead of us. But God's going to give, begin to give us the kings and the warriors. And I believe that there's a lot of people in this community that don't know Jesus. Or if they do, it's a very shallow existence because there's a whole lot more of walking with God than most people have experienced. There's just a whole lot more. God wants us to experience His power. God wants us to experience His destiny. The gifts and the call of God are without repentance. So, if most of us have come to know Christ before the age of 25, then what we need to do is we need to reach those who are most susceptible to coming to Christ. Now, here in this church, now guys, so you guys know I work with churches all over uh, America, literally all over the world, helping them to gain traction and growth. Our church in, in part of Impact will be hosting a conference on helping small to medium-sized churches gain traction, begin to get healthy, begin to grow, to begin to reach our community. Doing conferences, seminars. So, one of my goals here is we want to begin to help this church get healthy to make an impact in this community. What is God's will? What is God's destiny over this church? Number two is beginning to train and equip the people that are within this church to reach this community where God's placed you, right here in the middle of it. All right? Now, if most people come to know Christ in their, when they're young, what's the number one problem that this church has? We need a bunch of young people in here. Alright? So what I'm going to call upon you to do is I need you guys to begin to get pretty aggressive and ask. God says you have not because you what? Why don't we ask God to begin to give us the young people, the young family? Now I do have some grandmas here, right? Grandmas, some grandpas, right? Now we've got a few people in the nursery. But I have two grandchildren. Man, I love my kids. I have four kids. But I love my grandkids. Right? So, we're going to ask grandmas and grandpas to bring their grandkids to church. Why? It's because we need to begin to fill up nurseries with a bunch of children. How many, if you don't have some grandchildren, go borrow somebody else's grandchildren? <laughs> but I want to begin this way. 
We want to begin to build this as the family church where young families can come. That we begin to develop a, a ministry to reach in the young people. And folks, we're going to begin to ask you guys over the next six months to, to serve like you've never served before. To make some commitments like you've never committed. We're going to try and begin to build a children's ministry and then begin to build a student ministry, begin to reach a, a, a ministry to reach the young people that are in this community. Guys, how many of you know God's called us to have be fruitful and bear much fruit? So we're going to start with, I need you to borrow somebody else's kids. I need you to invite, I begin to need you to invite your neighbors, your family, and we want to begin to build a, we're going to overstaff the children's ministry. Because if you'll build it, they'll come. Have you ever heard that little saying? Well, we're going to start with build, helping to build a strong, healthy, vibrant children's ministry. Okay? And this is with you and your people that are going to do this. And we're going to begin to help reach this community because do you guys know how many... We have five colleges. I could be wrong. Are you have, I, I went around and it's like, not only do you have Liberty University, you have five colleges in this town. Oh my gosh. I don't know very few places in the world that have this many young people. So how many of you know if we don't retire, we're going to what? Refire. And we're going to begin to reach this community what God's placed in us. And God's going to begin to give us the kings and the warriors, the people of influence. But he's going to give us the young people. Amen? Now, Randy, I have to get on to that sermon. All right, is that okay? I want to be just begin to give you a little bit of vision. Uh, next week, uh, John's going to be sharing on on serving, and then we're going to have Desiree Bland, one of our, this lady will outwork anybody in this building. Uh, she'll do more for the kingdom. Whew. So we're going to help you be, we're just going to ask people to just get involved and commit and serve, and we're going to try and take some of the responsibility. We've got a handful of people doing a whole lot of ministry. I know everybody's doing something. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to be, try to be strategic, develop a strategic plan, getting people involved, getting people serving, getting people giving. In such radical ways, guys. How many of you would like to know that there will be an eternal consequence for our life? God's going to ask us two questions. When we die, first question is going to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? The wrong answer is because I attended Cornerstone Church. The right answer is because I trusted in Christ alone. I was a sinner. I tried to be a good person, but I couldn't do it on my own. And I trusted in what Christ did on the cross. The second question God's going to ask you is what did you do with your time, your talent, and your resources? And the wrong answer is I attended Cornerstone Church. We're going to challenge you to begin two things. We're going to challenge you to begin to see where you spend your waking hours, your place of influence, as a mission field and a place of ministry. And the second thing is, is that you serve in the church as part of the ministry extension of what God's already doing through you in the week. It's not like I have a work hat and a ministry hat, or a church hat and a family hat. We're called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Every believer is a minister, every believer is a missionary. And when you begin to change your view of who you are, and every morning you get up in the morning and you start asking God, God, what do you want to do with me today? And when you begin to go out to work and you pray over your work and you begin to work as unto the Lord, not to please man, but to please God, people are going to go, why are you different? Our goal is we want to fill the city with Jesus. Amen? We want to fill this church with so many people that we have to... Guys, I'm going to just tell, eventually we're going to have to gear up for two services. And you guys are going, Randy, just slow down. Guys, Why? Do you want a comfortable church? Or do you want a church that's going to stand before God and said, God, we made a kingdom impact? Well, guys, for the next six months, you got me. You got our church. You got a lot of impact churches. Guys, they're going to be here. And we're going to challenge the living bejeebies out of you. Amen? All right. So today's sermon she did what she could. We know the story of Mary Magdalene, but I'm going to unpack the story of Mary Magdalene. And what I want you to do is I want you to go home and do a little bit of Bible study on the woman. 
called Mary Magdalene. Because I think we can sometimes can read the story, but we miss a lot of what's there. And the whole concept of today's message was she did what she could. Those simple, she did what she could. Five words. And because she did what she could, it says that the gospel, every time the gospel is preached around the world, this story will be told of her. When you stand before God, what story is going to be told of you? He did what he could. She did what she could. Or they just came to church. They got saved. They gave a little bit of money because they were supposed to. But they accomplished nothing for the kingdom of God. They didn't use what God gave them. How many of you, how many, I believe that there are many people who know God, truly may be born again, but they sit in church every Sunday and they don't do what God's asked them to do. They don't use the gifts that God's given them. Don't you think this is a pretty stinking big deal? I'm going to read the story. I'm going to tell you and unpack the story. Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. Now, first of all, I'm going to come out of Matthew 26. Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 7, John chapter 12. Again, if anybody would like my sermon notes, I print my sermon notes. The slides that you see will be my sermon notes right beside it. So if anybody would like my sermons and would like to check up on what I preach, just send me an email and I'll give them to you. Because you might want to preach it. Right? Because you're going to now take it wherever we do here, and you're going to take it to work. Mark chapter 14. This is talking about Jesus. It says, while he was in Bethany, it's a town about uh, just a couple miles away from Jerusalem, reclining at the table of a man named Simon the leper. Okay? Now, I want you to notice I put in another version you're going to see in the multiple, four different Gospels, the same person's called Simon the Pharisee. Okay? So, I'm going to ask some questions along the way. How is Jesus eating in the house of a man who has leprosy? Let's solve that problem. A woman, a woman came to, with an, an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, let's back it up. A woman came into a Pharisee's or a leper's home and had access. Now, Pharisee, again, is one of the religious leaders, probably one of the more educated, probably one of the more wealthy people in the community in this little town called Bethany. Okay? How did this woman, who was, a, 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 well, as we go forward, a woman who was known to be probably either a prostitute or an immoral woman, how is it that she has access into Simon the leper or Simon the Pharisee's home? How did she get in there? And she came with a very experienced perfume made of pure nard. Now this, we're going to also learn that this perfume, pure nard, is from the Middle East. It's a, an aromatic perfume, very costly. Uh, as we go on, we'll read, it says it basically costs about a year's salary. So in, 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 if we were to figure out, let's say, a $35,000, it's about $3,000 an ounce this perfume, and a bottle. The jar itself is made of alabaster. It has to be broken. It's used one time only. So it's a very costly perfume. Okay? We'll see that right in this thing. So what it is used for is it's a, it's a, it's a like if you, anybody here into the, I have a daughter-in-law who's into this, the, the oil of essence and all these perfume things. Lord bless you guys. But it was used. It was it was used for healing, but it was also used for burial. And the healing is is it, it was this particular thing is internally it's supposed to bring healing on the inside as well as it was its main use was a very expensive person was buried with it, and it was a burial thing. So now, first of all, why would somebody? Why would this particular woman? I'm asking questions as we go forward. Why would this woman have this? year worth of salary perfume in her presence. 
I want you to ask these questions as we're going along. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head, on Jesus' head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Now they, number one, first of all, in the other Gospels, we see it's Judas. And then once Judas spoke it out, the other disciples chimed in. So it's the disciples, the 12 disciples, see this woman, a woman of ill repute, anoint Jesus' head and feet with this costly nard, this healing burial anointment. Now, why that perfume? Okay, Why did she choose that particular perfume, uh, which is used typically for preparing a person for burial? Jesus says this. He says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus has been telling his disciples for quite some time that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to be persecuted, and that he's going to go and die, be buried. Be, be literally hung on a cross and pay for man's sin. The disciples heard it over and over again. This isn't the first time Jesus has been telling them, but they didn't get it. And then Jesus said this, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. See, What's going to transpire in the next couple of days is Jesus is literally going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to go to the place of prayer. He's going to go to where he's arrested, put on trial, and ultimately crucified. So why at this time is this such a significant thing? Because ultimately when Jesus is crucified, it's the beginning of the Passover. And so rather than being the normal, when someone's buried, what they do is they bury them and they wrap them in over a hundred pounds of perfumes and uh, embalming type things to preserve the body and to make sure that it doesn't smell. And very few people got this costly uh, 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 nard, whatever they call it, uh, where's it, pure nard, uh, put on them. But Jesus got the most expensive thing. Why is it that it happened now? Well, because we all know, many of you know the story, because they put his body in, a, in the grave, in the tomb, there wasn't time for them to prepare the body for it. So this is the only time that Jesus had to be prepared for his burial. Not, not after his death, but before his death. So she, she did what she did, could. She poured the perfume on beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the Gospels preach throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What she has done will also be told. So this woman's extreme act of love will be shared every time the Gospel is preached around the world because of what she did. Now, she did what she could. Was it just that she had this Perfume, why did she have this perfume? Or it's just the act of what she did. What she did is not just encompassed in one little simple act. It's much more. Now let's look at a couple different versions. Okay? We just read Mark chapter 4, 14. Let's read Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees, Simon the leper, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived, who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay? First of all, how did she get in the house? This is a known woman of ill repute. As she, verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with their hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When, when the Pharisee, Simon the leper, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, now, 
How many of you have ever had self-talk? Right? And the pastor, he needs to hurry up and preach. I've got to, it's getting late. Right? So Simon says to himself in his mind, he says, when the Pharisee Simon the leper had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him at what kind of woman she is and that she's a sinner. Now, Simon the Pharisee knew what this woman was. I want to ask you the question, how? And why is it that she has access to his house? Verse 40. Now, he's thinking in his mind, this woman's showing love, poured this expensive perfume on Jesus. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Okay, everybody else is in the room. The room's packed with people. This woman's doing this extravagant act of love. Jesus doesn't talk to her. What's he do is he turns and he looks to Simon, the Pharisee, Simon the leper. He says, Jesus answers, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And we've got eye contact. Two men owed a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. How many of you know anything about leprosy? In biblical times, if a person contracted leprosy, <coughs> it was considered a judgment from God. Now, how is it whenever there was a leper, what he had to do is he no longer was able to live with his family. He was no longer able to live with his friends. In fact, when he, he had to live outside of the community, and if he ever was to come into town, first of all, he, he lost what leprosy is. It's just literally a deadening of your nerve endings. You begin to have your fingers fall off. You can't feel pain. You begin to have open sores. And so when a person has leprosy, <coughs> why you guys will always see me drinking this cup of tea. It's full of honey. Because Simon the leper, every time he walked down the street, had to yell, unclean, unclean. If someone came close, how, how would you like to spend your life going unclean, unclean? Here's the religious leader who now has leprosy in a room full of people. What happens? How is Simon the leper in his home with a group of people? Apparently, somewhere in this journey, it doesn't say in Scripture, but Jesus had had to have healed this Pharisee of his disease. And the man who was once yelling, unclean, unclean, is now in his home. We're going to quickly see that the home that he is in is the home of Martha and Mary. Over and over. I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to challenge you to go look up the scriptural references. And so this Simon the leper, is, or Simon the Pharisee, is constantly inviting people into his home. And the same home that Martha invites Jesus into so we begin to see there's a connection, a trail of more than likely as we begin to go over these references that Martha and Mary, Mary Magdalene are the daughters, Martha and Mary and Lazarus are the daughters and son of Simon the leper. I'm going to challenge you to look up your references. Let's go on. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. She's loved much, but she... But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm going to quickly read through some scriptures, and then I'm going to come back to this verse. Now, 
Let's talk about uh, the story of, of Lazarus. How many of you know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus died, you know. Martha and Mary's brother is sick. They send word to Jesus. Jesus, come, our brother Lazarus is sick. Jesus waits several days, and, sa- and then, after Lazarus is dead, finally shows up. Okay? So let's just read that real quick. Now, a man with Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Where? Okay. The village of Mary and his sister Martha, the Mary whose brother Lazarus was sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet. In other words, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Mary is the one who pours perfume on Jesus' feet. How many of you guys saw this before? All right. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. Now, finally, Jesus goes to Bethany. Lazarus is already dead. And what what happens is when a person dies, what's the first thing they do? They immediately take that hundred pounds of perfume and they wrap the body because it begins to stink after just almost immediately. Lazarus is dead four days now. Jesus shows up. Martha runs out. Mary runs out. Hey, Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said he's not dead. And so Martha and Mary are sitting there, and she said, Wait, Jesus, I, I know you're, you've done some pretty amazing things, but he's dead. In fact, one of them goes, he stinketh. That's King James Version. All right? He stinketh. Why? Now, I want to ask you the question. Why have they not put the burial perfume on him? Okay? Let's unpack this thing. Why is it that he's not doesn't have this hundred pounds of ointments and and things that keep his body from smelling? Okay. Good questions to ask, right? Okay. Let's read through this couple different verses. And behold, a woman of the city, Luke chapter seven, Matthew twenty six, Mark fourteen. And behold, a woman of the city was a sinner when she learned that she was reclining at the table. Simon, verse, Luke, Simon the leper, uh, Luke 7.40, the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, kissed his feet, and anointed them with oil. The same thing, Matthew 26. When, now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Mark chapter 14, and the... And while he was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table of a woman, came with an alabaster jar of ointment, pure nard, very costly, and she broke that flask and poured it over his head. Okay, let's answer all these questions. Who was Simon the leper? Simon the Pharisee? He was the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Why was Simon the leper even in his home? It was because Simon the leper had been forgiven of his sins and healed of leprosy by Jesus. When Jesus addressed Simon the leper, because he says, man, Jesus, if you were a prophet, you would know what this woman is. So when Jesus heard that in his spirit, he didn't address Mary. He addressed Simon, and he says, Simon, whose sins are forgiven the most? The one who sinned the most or the one who sinned the least? And Simon says, I guess, the one who sinned the most. Both of them, both sins are forgiven. The one who loves most is the one who's been forgiven the most. And Jesus turns to Mary, looking at Simon, and says, Simon, have I not? Can we put it in practical? You know this woman here. The reason she's here and the reason she's in your home every time we see a gospel account is because Mary, the girl who's been 
either a prostitute or an immoral woman has experienced God's love. Now, Simon, I forgave you and healed you. Mary, your sins are forgiven. So what Jesus did right in that moment is there was a wall of separation between Simon the father, the leper who had been healed, whose sins had been forgiven, and Mary, the woman who in another place we see Jesus cast out demons, looked at her and says, Woman, your sins are forgiven. How could Mary? So you want to ask the question, how did Mary have this expensive year worth of salary? Why did she have that perfume with her in her presence? Okay, let's back up the story. Maybe she bought it. First of all, you want to ask the question, how did she have resources to pay for a year's worth of nard? We don't know. But speculation is, is if she was a woman of ill repute, she probably gained the money from prostitution. Scripture doesn't say, but it gives you a pretty clear fact. Every time Jesus told the disciples, hey, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and die to pay for man's sins, Mary, Mary, there's, there are several Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, there was a couple other Marys, and multiple women. How many of you know this incident changed the way way women were treated in Jewish culture and Christianity. See, most women in Jewish culture were treated as less than. All right? Tradition held that Jewish males offered a blessing this way every morning. They thanked God. This is what they said. They thanked God for not making them Gentiles, slaves, or women. So every morning... A Jew male would get up and say, God, I am thankful that I'm not a Gentile and that I'm not a slave or, my, or that you created me to be a woman. In Middle Eastern culture, even to this day in many places, a woman has to cover her face, has to walk behind her husband 12 paces. Many places, it's changing progressively, but women were not allowed to, be, to learn to read, to be educated, to be involved in anything in the community. And so what happened with Jesus, when Jesus came on the scene, he began to change the way that men and families treated women. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When, when he was speaking to Simon the leper, he said, Simon, see your daughter right here? You've been forgiven little. She's been forgiven much. Now forgive her. So when Jesus was speaking to Mary, was he speaking to Mary? Yes. But he broke the dividing wall. So what is so, what is so significant? She did what she could. Okay? She was a woman who felt God's unconditional love and accepted. She acted as a response to God's love. She was treated with dignity. When, when we see in the beginning of the Garden of Eden, it says God created Adam. And then he saw that Adam had a missing ingredient. And so he created Eve out of his rib. And he said he, it, Adam was to, to protect her. He was to come under. The word in, the, in the, that language is hupakaso, means to come under, to watch over, to shepherd, to protect, to love, to nurture. But what happened progressively over time because of sin is men begin to treat women with less than. Men were, were allowed to do all kinds of things. Men treated women with disrespect, even in the Jewish culture. But when Jesus came in, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Hupacoso, shepherded them, protected them, nurtured them. How many of you know all 12 of the disciples abandoned Jesus? They all knew that he was going to die. But how many of you know that not one woman was left Jesus' side. We see Jesus rebuked the disciples. He rebuked Peter for 
on multiple occasions. But how many of you, there's not one place in the New Testament that we ever see Jesus rebuking a woman. The women heard, so how did Mary have this jar of alabaster? Is it possible that she paid attention to what Jesus said? Jesus says, I am going to die. So Mary had a couple options. It could have been that Mary's father had leprosy, and she says, I'm going to buy, because I can, this jar of pure nard for my dad's funeral, because he has leprosy. Or maybe she bought it for Lazarus, who died, because he stinketh. And again, we know that the, the perfume hadn't been per, put on Lazarus' body. Lazarus wasn't prepared the normal way that they prepare a Jewish burial, because he stunk. Otherwise, you would have prepared, per, smelt this overwhelming pure nard. Or maybe she realized that her own life did not have a lifelong expectancy because of her profession. Whatever the reason, we don't know. But we do know that she had it. And then when she heard that Jesus was going to prepare himself to die, she came in not being told by God. So she, she did. She acted. She just didn't do any something. She didn't act out of obligation. She didn't ask because somebody asked her to do it. She hadn't been invited. She just did it. She did what she could. What motivated Mary to do what she did? She had had, just look at what Mary had, had, had experienced. She'd had demons cast out of her. God forgive her of her sins. Jesus raised her brother from the dead. God break the dividing wall of separation between she and her father. Probably a lifelong separation that led her into what she was in. And Jesus changed everything. She did what? What she could. She did what she, not, not all that she could, but she had what was within her means she used. She broke that alabaster jar and prepared Jesus. For such a time as this, Mary had, and she used what was in her hand at that time. I want to ask you right now, what do you have? What could you do right now to help with what God's doing in this church, in this community, in your family, where you work right now? She did what she could. Mary knew what God's will was. She was a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has become. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. She was forgiven. She was healed. Her family had been discipled by Jesus. Her brother had been raised from the dead. She was a new person. She did what she could. She knew that Jesus was getting ready to die. Mark 14, 8 through 9. She did what she could. She poured perfume on his body beforehand to prepare him for his burial. She did what she could. She could do it. She had the money. She had the resources. She had the time. She could. She she did what she could. I want to ask you a question. If she did what she could, what if I did what I could? What if we did what we could? What she did is she simply decided to live a radical life of obedience. She sold out all for Jesus. She gave herself completely, unabandonedly to God. 
I've got a bunch of young people over here, kind of in that little section here. I got some young, multiple young people. What if we had these young people who got a revelation that God could use them to impact the world? This one lady, she had a really bad past. And she just embraced Jesus, and Jesus changed everything. We don't retire, we what? What if I had some people that are closer to the retirement age begin to get a revelation that God's not done with them yet? And that the best years of what he wanted to do in their life are the years that lay ahead. I got some people that are intercessors in this church. They've been plowing the ground, getting the soil ready for a move of God in Lynchburg. What if God said, now is the time? You've been laboring and laboring and laboring. Pastor Willie, Minerva, the family, the elders, this church. What if God says, now, after these many years, I'm going to begin to open a door that no man can close. And I'm going to use this church to begin to make an impact in the world. Guys, I want you to begin to believe that the best is yet to come. But it can't make that happen if we remain in the past and we don't go forward. We're going to begin to challenge you begin to commit your life to giving your life radically to Jesus, to serving God undemandedly, to reaching the community that God's placed you in. Because the will of God supersedes what we have experienced in the past. Is that part of it? But the will of God is there's going to be a day when there's so many stinking people in this church that we're going to have to do multiple services. And you're going to have to lose your chair. Guys, I've helped many a church. And this is the common thing I hear. We didn't have any of these problems until all these new people started coming. <laughs> Are you guys ready for this? I'm going to have John come up, close the service. He's going to give you guys a couple opportunities. Those who are believers and those who may know God here, but they're not quite sure yet here. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.